Well, I'm not a crook. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. I have a dream. All I ask of our brethren is that they take their feet off our necks. It transcends the senses. This is Murder of Grey. I'm Christian Chamberlain and I'm Chris Slattery and this is the murder of gray podcast all right so man the United States has been notorious well I guess everyone in the world right we've all done some really horrible things in the name of science right Mm -hmm. it's either science or like ending warfare like we always try and put like some big grandiose like idea behind some of the decisions that we make and then years later we look back at it and we're like, oh my God, what were we thinking, right? Like, just like what horrible things have people done? I mean, and no person or company is safe. Like, even Johnson & Johnson is, like, at fault for some of this stuff. Oh, and yeah. So, what, what we're going to be going over today is some unethical practices that have happened throughout the years. Whether it's medical practices, warfare practices, or um, other things too, like psychological things, or just basic tests that have been done on humans. But the way that we get around it, right? It's so it's so weird to think that all of our science has been built on some sort of ignorance. And you know, and thinking back on it, it's it's very true, and it, it's not really surprising because if you look at how original, like, or old scientists and anthropologists used to study humans you know and like it just was oh like this type of people have smaller brains than us so they're uh, they're less than us so we can just cut them up however we want or in the war times you know like with hitler testing on twins and stuff like that right like we've done some really really sketchy things to like to just other humans because we want to progress society or figure out something, but there's not, there weren't really rules back in the day as to what we can do, what's ethically okay or all right. And what I think is super funny is actually, or not funny, but a little weird is that some of these people that have performed these heinous acts in history, they actually are like coveted nowadays. Um, and for instance, one of the people that I'm going to be talking about uh, a little later, he actually became the president of the American Association of Cancer Research, despite all of the horrible things that he did during his practice and his studies of cancer itself. So it's just it's weird that we kind of like praise these, quote unquote, like monstrous uh, like practices. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. little weird but i figure we might as well just jump right into it we're gonna jump right into one that i think is probably the least i guess physically damning or harming um but it does deal with a lot of mental harm that was inflicted on the patients themselves and this study was called the monster study 
right? So this was actually during around uh, 1939, so a little bit ago. But this was uh, done by a pathologist named Wendell Johnson, who actually suffered from a severe stutter when he grew up. Like, and he, so that kind of sparked his interest in the field itself. And he was looking not only to find a cure for stutter, stuttering, but he was looking for the cause itself, right? Hmm. And he felt that stuttering actually was impacted by external factors more than it was uh, like an internal mental issue or whatever it may be. But he was just trying to figure it out, right? Remember, it's 1939. So we there wasn't really a lot of research done on stuttering itself, right? And, you know, it kind of makes sense. Whenever you think about it, or at least this hypothesis makes sense when it deals with external factors, right? Whenever you get really pissed or annoyed, you kind of get flustered, your tongue gets tied, or let's say you go and you have a stage fright, right? And all of yep. a sudden you can't talk anymore, you start stuttering on your words. Or even right now, as trying to explain this situation, I've stuttered a few times, <laughs> which <laughs> it just happens, right? And so his hypothesis does have some sort of merit. So in 1939, uh, Johnson went to an orphanage and decided to do the experiment on 22 children in an Iowa orphanage. And, you know, of course he went to an orphanage because we're going to find a common thread between a lot of these unethical studies of whether it's prisoners, orphans, uh, war criminals, right? It's the people who aren't really able to deny consent for some of these things or feel like they might not have anything better to do, right? So they did a thing where they were doing a practice with positive and negative reinforcement. And this is really interesting, right? And it's crazy how deep the wounds got mentally. So there was the the children were actually split into two groups. It was group A and group B. And the ones in group A received positive reinforcement uh, with their speech. No matter how they were talking, it was always, oh, like you're doing much better today. Or, oh, how, you know, articulate you are with the way you speak, right? They were, they were really praising the children as they were talking. Now, with the other group, they were practicing negative reinforcement. So even if they were speaking perfectly clear, they kept bringing up the fact like, oh, you kind of have a stutter there, don't you? Or they, they were being very like just negative with the way that they were handling uh, how the children were speaking. And, or they were comparing it to kids with stutters, right? So like think about it this way. You're talking to your teacher or a professor and that professor is now comparing you to a child that actually does have a stutter. Now, whenever you hear the child talking, the one with the stutter talking to the professor, they're praising that child for how articulate they are. But when you talk to the professor, they say how they compare you to the one who actually has a stutter and says, you know, like you're getting a lot worse than this student, right? Like, so they're doing a lot of that kind of practice and it ended up causing a lot of severe mental issues with these orphans where they actually developed uh like real stutters uh they developed a fear of speaking itself some of them actually like completely shut down and refused to talk like it was a lot of negative things that came from that now one of the professors that was a part of this her name was mary tudor uh she became incredibly remorseful with the actions that they did to these children and how much damage they actually did. And they and she actually went back to the orphanage and helped them with their speech like 
actually helping them, right? And trying to undo all the harm that they originally caused, which I guess is a good thing. You know, they're trying to do something good at the end of it, but they still really mess these kids up. And this is the kicker, right? So despite all of the things that Wendell Johnson did, uh, all the mistakes he made and how horrible he was to these orphans, uh, he... Gosh, yeah. Um, Wendell, so listen to this. The Wendell Johnson Speech and Hearing Clinic at the University of Iowa bears Johnson's name and is a nod to his contri- contributions to the field. So despite him being like really negative to people, doing like unhumane or unethical practices on these orphans, uh, in Iowa, the Speech and Hearing Clinic still bears his name uh to give him oh. yeah to basically say thank you for all the work he's done despite how whole, like messed up his practices were and this is a very common thing like it's very oh, very common God. which is just like mind-boggling to me i just don't really understand that aspect of how how it's like how can we look back at it years now like this is in 1939 when this practice was done so we know about this practice it's in studies there's multiple books written about it mary tudor has actually spoken out against the studies themselves and she was one of the lead like uh professors or um scientists that was practicing this right and they still have his name on the university as a like major contributor to the field of speech and hearing so it's just kind of crazy to me. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in. But it's just and you know, this is probably one of the more subdued uh practices that we might be speaking of today. But I think that it's something that's really important to remember that like despite how vicious or violent some of these other practices are the mental ones like this, right? The ones that are just Mm -hmm. kind of like messing you up a little by little and at such a young age too, right? And you think they have orphans who just want a home, like, right? Like they don't feel like they have anywhere to belong and now they're being like pushed down further, right? With all this negative reinforcement. There's so many wrong things that can happen from this and there's no really like, there's no undoing what they did. Oh yeah. And it's, it's disgraceful to do it with orphans or, you know, people, young people who don't know what's going on, mm. you know, like, I know this is a different subject and I actually want to touch on this in maybe a different episode, but the whole, uh, you know, how the polio vaccine uh, was kind of created yeah. was by a mental institution. This guy came in and injected or infected a bunch of, you know, patients who were children to test it out and see the reactions to it. And it, when you were talking about this, it reminded me of that. And I'm like, damn, like they really like, they did a lot of experiments on children. And I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, no one really complained or made noise about it. I noticed for a lot of these things until the seventies, like doing studying for this topic today, I noticed a lot of these issues that happened in the thirties, forties, even the fifties, nothing was publicly said until usually the seventies. And I'm like, why did it take that long? Like, you know, like I understand there was no social media. Parents couldn't go out there and complain about it, but word of mouth gets around, right? 
even back then yeah. there had to have been like a gossip mill and people spilling the tea somewhere like why didn't anyone make a big deal about it until like 20 30 years later i mean thankfully someone did but it's just like ah think of the children you know like yeah. i don't know it's messed up yeah they they always picked the people who had the least amount of connections to keep it very contained and yep. that that was the big issue that's why we have a lot of prisoners that were treated horribly I mean, yes, they are prisoners. They might have done something horrible or heinous themselves, but no one should go through some of the things that these people have gone through, right? And then mm. to to pick on orphans at that point, right, is just horrible. And it's basically a, a bully practice, right? Yeah. It's just how much can we bully these kids to make them stutter? Like how, that's just messed up, right? Because like, like that was his main, that was the main focus of the study was to find out what causes it and then find a cure if they can, right? So the initial idea was let's find the cause of it and actually cause a stutter before we try and fix children who actually are affected by this. And this is coming God. from someone who had a severe stutter growing up. Like that's, it just doesn't make any sense to me, right? It's just mm -hmm. like, I, it's so weird. It's so... It's horrible. It's just horrible. It's you like if I think of the times too, like they didn't know any better back then either. Yeah, but it's like if I went back in, like if I, if I now, as I in my mid thirties, right, if I went and basically opened up, like remember that movie Heavyweights <laughs> with like oh, Ben Stiller yeah. and stuff? It would be like if I opened up that place right now and I was Ben Stiller, right? <laughs> the fat kid picking on, like, right, like. It's the no longer fat kid picking on the fat kids, right? This is the mm -hmm. guy that's the no longer stutter now picking on stuttering children. And now I'm trying to make other children stutter by just putting them under his thumb, right? Like, it just, it's so it's weird. Wrong. Yeah, just yeah. everything about it is just wrong. It's a horrible practice. But yeah. Ugh, uh, you ready for my... Oh, yeah. Let's, let's so, shift some gears. Let's get a little... I'm keeping the... The really really bad stuff for last for all the people out there that might be a little disturbed by some of the things we'll talk into it um but i want to talk about something that i found really sad that it happened and i remember hearing about this somewhere before but i never really dived into it until this episode and i don't know if anyone's heard about this this happened from 1932 to 1972 and it was called the tuskegee syphilis study oh gosh i this such a okay yep go for it just um, be warned this is listeners out there like remember the times like we don't hopefully no one's doing this anymore but yeah this is a pretty rough run this one's sad because the people were willing for this right because they didn't know better but Basically, it, this was done by the United States Public Health Service and the CDC. You know, I mean, say what you will about the CDC. I know a lot of people nowadays have a love hate with them, yeah. but this was the 30s, 40s, and they conducted on a group of three to 400 only African Americans, by the way. It only was on them uh, with syphilis. And this is going to the whole syphilis, gonorrhea, and STD transmissions, it's really weird because when I was looking at other 
cases of these unethical experiments, syphilis was a big thing Mm -hmm. that was tested from here to Germany to everywhere in the world. And the weirdest thing about this, and obviously racism was a huge thing behind this, but in all these other countries, they said the darker someone's skin was made them more resilient to this. So we have to test it on them, which sounds like the biggest bullshit Bullshit. in the world. But so here is, you know, in the United States being clinically done, not just as like a prisoner of war kind of thing. Like basically what they did was they went to, I think, uh, a lot of like sharecroppers and farmers in Alabama. And they told them, Hey, like if you're willing to do this experiment, you know, you'll get full mental and medical expenses paid, which, you know, back then it was poverty. They, they didn't have medical attention back then. Yeah. And I guess out of the group, three, like almost 400 of them had latent syphilis and then there was a control group of like 200 who were not infected. And basically, they they didn't know that they were going to be dealing with syphilis, right? They just told them they were going to be in a study, and that was it. And it was only supposed to last half a year to about a year max, but it went on for 40 years. You can understand how awful that is already. And nothing was really said about it until the 70s. But to kind of get into it a little bit more. Well, so 72, the story leaked, and that's when the press got involved. But by then, there was about 28 patients who died directly from the syphilis. 100 died from complications related to it. 40 of the patient's wives were infected with it, and 19 children were born with congenital syphilis. And I've seen the pictures of this, right? Like, you can see the sores and all the other, like, god-awful things that, you know, were developing on these people. And they did not receive care or treatment for it. You know, they were told they were. But here's the problem is that a lot of times these pills that they were given by the doctors were just placebos Mm -hmm. or fake uh like bad blood or you know stuff that it wasn't helping them so basically they just wanted to see what would happen if they had syphilis for this amount of time without any kind of like cure being put into them yeah with no treatment whatsoever it's like it's just so wrong yeah it was it was a board of it was just a board of white males who wanted to watch people die that's basically what this practice was they did absolutely nothing to help them to contribute to actually like cure anything they just wanted to watch what syphilis does to the body and what it can do if it's passed on and all this stuff. So they didn't treat anything regarding syphilis, right? And this is mm-hmm. the thing that really, like, I, when I first heard about the story, it kind of blew my mind. So a lot of these men, or some of them, actually enrolled in the army and military as well. Oh, yeah. Right? And in the military, you actually have to get, uh, like, a syphilis shot, right? It's just one of the things mm-hmm. that's a part of it. 
But the doctors actually convinced the military to forego the syphilis shots because they're still looking into them, right, as part of a medical practice. Really, it just meant that they just want to watch them die slowly, even though there was Mm -hmm. a shot available for the people to end their suffering right then and there. And like syphilis is painful, right? And it's just, it's so horrible to think that really like the whole point of this experiment for how like ridiculously how long it went was that they were just there to watch these people die and suffer their whole lives. And just so gross. Another adding to that, right? there were other times that they could have gotten treatment for this and still the PHS prevented them from getting the care. They literally went to like all the doctors in that County and told them, Hey, do not give any treatment for this. They're, you know, they're under a study. They can't receive any care. So anytime someone would go and question about it, they couldn't do anything. And Another thing that's really fucked up about this is that so later on in 47, right? So about 10, 15 years since they started the study, uh, penicillin was kind of like the standard for, you know, helping deal with syphilis. Mm -hmm. And there were government-sponsored programs even in that county where they were for the treatment and they wanted the rapid treatment centers for those people to get rid of this disease, but they were prevented from getting the care. And even then they were told, no, you can't, or they would, they wouldn't even say it to the patient's face. They would say it to the providers of the penicillin. Like, Hey, these names are blacklisted. Like you can't do it for these people. And that's fucked up. Yeah. That's horrible. Um, and by the end of the study in 72, out of the huge number, almost 500, 74 were the only ones still alive. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's, it's sad. It just went on for so long. I mean, Clinton formed an apology. Of course, this was all in the nineties. But think about it, like no U.S. president really, I mean, he, that was one of the things, uh, the, one of the demands they wanted, you know, is like a retribution kind of thing to have. Yeah, of course. You know, a president yeah. say, and I'm like, so they're like, it took another 20 years. Yeah, for a president to acknowledge it. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, I understand racism has been a huge thing in this country for a very long time, but it's like. You got to look past that when you're like a president, you know, you got to. And that goes beyond. Yeah, think about the people. Man, like this is the CDC, right? Like this goes way beyond racism. This is just basic human rights at that point where it's just like you guys did a horrible thing. You watch people die. You watch people suffer for nothing. Like what did we really get out of that? Because we already had practices in place to help treat these things right so like what was like i don't even know what the main purpose or what they claimed the point of this study was right like it doesn't it's just literally here oh you have syphilis cool well sign this list now never get treatment and we'll just see what happens right like what what benefit is that whenever we have the like the military had the shots we had penicillin we had all this stuff like what what was the gain um, 
And another thing, too, is the nurse for all this, right? Um, She was actually the nurse for the whole 40 years. So she was the longest-running person there, uh, part of the team. And they called it Miss Rivers Lodge because that was her, her name was Rivers. And basically anyone that would participate in the study would get free physical exam- examinations at Tuskegee University, free rides to and from the clinic, hot meals on examination days, and a free treatment for minor ailments. And she also convinced families to sign autopsy agreement in return for funeral benefits. Wow. Just horrible. Oh, which is insane. You know, and it just basically all got brushed under the under the rug, you know. I mean I get science is science and you need to read things, but what the fuck did this do? Like yeah. what good came of this at all? I, I can't everything that I've looked into that on the study, I can't see anything positive that came from it or a clear at least with like the monster study, he had a hypothesis that kind of made sense, right? Or like he, he mm-hmm. claimed to have an end goal, but what was the end goal here? And how did it go from half a year to 40 years, right? Like, it just, I'm still so baffled that this went on so long that nobody, nobody fought it. Nobody spoke up, right? And everyone seemed to be kind of okay with it, but they were feeding on poverty. They were feeding on the fact that mm-hmm. they couldn't afford basic medical care, and they they kind of just like held that over their heads the entire time, which is just horrible. Another thing too you have to think about is during the time, you know, people in poverty, their voices didn't matter to the True. government, yeah. to the media. So like it makes sense that even if they were complaining about it, like no one would listen to them. Yeah. And I mean, I guess the one positive thing that came from this experiment was that uh, informed consent was created from this uh national research act i think is what it's called it's uh, it's sad that that that's had to happen the, that that's the positive that comes out of something like this that's insane right like a 40-year study just so that we can get informed consent which is a byproduct of how horrible these people were to their patients Ugh, that's not yeah that's horrible but i at least we have that now right like, at least mm-hmm. that's here, because, gosh, it just sucks for the people who can't speak out, who don't feel like they have a voice to say anything and to stop what's going on. And actually, speaking of people who don't have a voices, uh, who are, you know, looked at as maybe the shady part of our society, uh, prisoners, right? And actually mm-hmm. leads right into this next one that I want to talk about. So from 1913 to 1951. Okay. So look Ooh. at that gap first. Like the, the Tuskegee one was really long, but this is also a very long study too. It's almost 40 years. Right. So mm-hmm. Leo Stanley, who's the chief surgeon at San Quentin state prison in California, California's oldest correctional institution. Yeah. Good job, California, whatever. Um, so he would perform vasectomies on prisoners. Right. And Mm -hmm. gosh, this is so horrible. So he performed vasectomies on prisoners who he actually recruited through the promises of improved, improved health and vigor. So he claimed that through a vasectomy, you would actually get better health and you would feel more alive afterwards. Right. So 
after a little bit of time, that's not the worst part. It gets worse than that, right? So after a little bit of time, he started kind of switching around his beliefs and how he performed his scientific practices. And he started studying hormones and the glands that produce hormones, mainly testicles. And he actually believed that the effects of aging and decreased hormones uh, contributed to criminality, weak morality, and poor physical attributes. So his solution for this was to replace or transplant the testicles from younger men into men who were older to restore their masculinity, <sighs> lower their criminality, and increase their morals just in general. So he was performing testicular <laughs> transplants from older or from younger men to older men. And the, where wow. do you think he got his supply, his testicle supply from? Well, he actually got them from executed prisoners. So one of the things, as soon as the prisoner was executed, he removed their testicles and put them onto older men to test, you know, the effects of their testosterone gains and all that stuff. But as I'm sure you can probably imagine, his supply began to run kind of low. So there weren't as many executed prisoners as people that he wanted to practice on. So he started getting the testicles of goats and deers and implanting them into people as well. And eventually there was a lot of complications from these the switch in, you know, species <laughs> for his transplants it wasn't really going well for him so he then started to grind up the animal testicles into a paste which he then injected to the prisoners abdomens and what? yeah so like to try and get the full hormone producing glands into their body somehow to be absorbed into their bloodstreams and hopefully have the same results now this is kind of a ridiculous study, but listen to this number. So it is estimated that that Stanley or Leo Stanley performed 10,000 testicular procedures in this 40-year span. What? Yeah. 10,000 procedures. Wow. That's a insane number. No wonder he ran out of executed prisoner supply. Like this guy wanted to do this practice day in and day out for 40 years. Like he just couldn't get enough of this. And he really thought that he was onto something, that he was going to lower the criminality of people and make them better citizens, increase their morals, increase their physical attributes, all of that stuff. He thought that he was actually doing something good because he looked at the the vigor and the, the, the strength of a young man compared to an older man and thought that the balls were the answer. <laughs> so that's what he went for. And just, I don't really understand, like, the thought process going into then making the animal testicles into a paste and injecting it into their abdomens. I, like, it's just insane to me. Like, this is such a weird practice that actually happened. And, and 10,000 procedures? That's so many. That's 20,000 mm -hmm. balls that went through, <laughs> that he went through. Mm -hmm. Like, that's crazy in 40 years. So... 
Yeah. And this man hasn't really been recognized. He's not immortalized in any, you know, medical practices that I know of. But it's it's just another one of those horrible things that were done to prisoners without them really knowing. And it was all under false pretenses. Like he didn't ever told them exactly what was going to happen. He never told them what procedures were going to be done to them. He just promised them improved health and vigor. And for an elderly man in prison, why not, right? Like, what else do you got going mm-hmm. for you at this point? You're in jail. It's 1913. You're probably not going to be heard of for a while, right? Like, it's just, yeah, it, it's crazy. It's just a crazy practice. Ugh. The goats. Makes, like, no sense. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's not like the brain where, like, oh, this will change a person's mind or you know, change their attitude. It's like, yeah, what the hell are balls going to do? Yeah. <laughs> no, it just like... makes no sense. There, there is an interesting idea that I learned in genetics class. Actually, it's called Jacob syndrome, and I'm I don't know when mm-hmm. this was found out or in correlation to this practice, right? But when you're born, you're born with, everyone knows the XY chromosomes, right? XY is boy, XX is girl. But there's actually a different combination pairing as well. There's XXY, there's XYX, you know, like, so there's there's different ways of looking mm-hmm. at it as well. So there's one uh, pairing that was XYY, and they named it Jacob Syndrome. And they actually did a study on a lot of prisoners And when they found the ones who were in for more violent crimes, they had the XYY pairing, right? So, like, maybe he was thinking that he could change them on a chromosomal level because, you know, the testicles produce sperm, which sperm passes on your genetic makeup. Maybe that will change the way that their body is formulated as well if you introduce new like chromosomes to them which is something that we kind of have found out now today remember like with the fecal transplants that we've spoken of in the past where you know it actually has changed them genetically on the inside so like there's something to this practice but in that time frame of 1913 they had no idea what the hell they were doing with this or what would it like how to even do it right or what negative things can come from this so he was just swapping balls out to see if he could and just <laughs> that number is insane to me 10,000 are you fucking kidding me like that's crazy crazy so for my next one that I found this actually happened during the 1950s and 1960s and you're right everything that we're talking about kind of did happen before the 70s before we had that consent so I guess the syphilis study did actually help stop these horrible things from happening but so there's an oncologist his name is chester southam so he conducted research on cancer right and he was studying the immune systems in people and so in order to find out how cancer cells interacted with the body he actually injected live cancer cells into patients without (sighs) their permission okay what the fuck? Anyway, so, but most of the people who were actually, uh, at first, well, at first, the, the the people that were experimented on actually already had terminally ill cancer. And whenever they were introduced to more living cancer cells, I'm sure you can kind of guess where it went. Cancer got worse, obviously. 
Um, but and whenever patients did actually give consent, because some of them did con give consent to this, and which I think is interesting because most of the time when he did this practice, he did it without their permission. But there were some people that he actually asked for consent for, which is really, really weird to me. But they were mm. given details around the they like the the true nature of the experiment was always kept a secret. They always led it with the idea of we're studying the immune system and how it or how it reacts to different foreign objects, right? So they kept it really, really vague, and they never really told anyone what they're doing. But that whole there's that weird gray area where it's like most were done without permission, and some patients gave consent, which I don't understand where like who he asked, right? But then. After a while, the cancer did exactly what they thought it would do. So, of course, naturally, Southam decided to then do this study on healthy subjects. Uh, he felt that it would yield more accurate results if he injected cancer cells into living people to see what would happen, right? A healthier immune system, maybe they can actually fight back cancer. So, guess who he recruited for this practice? Yep. Once again, he got prisoners involved in this study. So the people who have nowhere to go, it's horrible. And after a while, he was, you know, getting some sort of results. He felt that their their immune systems responded a little bit better than those of the cat cancer patients, which you would kind of expect. Some people didn't have any negative effects to having living cancer cells injected into the body, which is interesting. So he wanted to come back and start infecting sick people again, but not fully cancer patients. He just wanted to infect people with slightly immune compromised uh, systems so that he can, you know, get a wider data source, I guess you could say. So he actually went to the Jewish Chronic Disease Hospital in Brooklyn, New York, uh, and started injecting patients there. But Luckily, there was actually a lot more resistance to this study at that time. Uh, the, the doctors there did not want to do these things. And actually, three of the doctors who were asked to participate in the experiment refused, resigned, and then went public with what he was actually doing. And so, obviously, the media got involved, and this is the 60s, so we're getting closer to the idea of humans deserve to know what's going to be injected into their bodies, right? We're almost at the informed consent stage of our lives. So, this drew a lot of attention. And... <laughs> This is ridiculous. So instead of getting his medical practice or his, uh, yeah, his medical license taken away from him, uh, it was then put on, oh, it was just suspended for one year. So he couldn't perform medicine for one year after the whole scandal got, you know, unveiled to the world. And then actually that one year suspension got lightened even further and it was just released to a light probation where he had to practice <laughs> under supervision of someone else. Someone who had an active medical license, which he already had a team of people behind him all these years. So there was really no <sighs> issue there. Now, here's yeah. the worst part, in my opinion, right? So remember that person I said was elected to be the president of the Cancer Research Society? Well, 
Mm-hmm. Here's your man. The person who decided to inject healthy individuals and just keep injecting people with living cancer cells was later elected as president of the American Association of Cancer Research. So it just makes so the person who is now making all the decisions or the head of cancer research in America is the one who decided to knowingly inject healthy individuals with cancer cells just to see what would happen just out of curiosity right see if uh someone who's dying of cancer if they get more cancer in them if they're going to do better right like no so it's just it's horrible to me is this guy still on like that thing like no i don't think so anymore this was uh yeah i think he's out now but the fact that he was actually the guy right like just Right. Yeah. He was praised for his studies despite how horrible they were. And just there's no yeah, no dignity, no anything. No no yeah, it's just horrible. Horrible stuff. Yeah. It's the amount of praise for people who do such negative things. And I actually like I was thinking about this the other day too. This is kind of a tangent thought, but like and potentially another topic for another episode. But if you look at Netflix right now, what's the big show or types of shows that are coming out or documentaries? And it's love either Love is, yeah, Love is Blind or <laughs> like the scandal shows, right? Like the the fraud yep. guys, the ones who get away with all this shit. Mm-hmm. And like you can't help but think like at the end of every single one of those documentaries, it always ends the same. That person is still out here. They're able to do whatever they want. They only went to jail for six months, right? Like it wasn't even that big of a deal because there's no proof. We are giving people a blueprint on how to effectively commit fraud and get away with it. But not only that, we Mm -hmm. are idolizing these people and giving them the attention that they want. Because that's really what it seems like a lot of these people want. Just they want attention. They're hungry for it. And we're making full documentaries and all this stuff about them, like even Netflix shows like the Tinder Swindler and all that bullshit, right? Like it, it's similar to how I was feeling with the um, like the true crime podcast stuff and all the like serial killer things out there. Like we are idolizing killers and now we're idolizing like fraud, right? And and in these practices, mm-hmm. we idolized unethical practices of people and then gave them positions of power to then continue those kinds of studies so it just it's we it, we do some weird stuff as people as human beings and i and we just need to fix that <laughs> that's for sure i mean people always have an interest in like the morbid and you know the macabre yeah. but it's like there's a difference between showing history and shining a light on that stuff and like almost making that person the big right. idol right like it's fine to have a documentary on the subject or talk about it but here's the thing is if you make it about someone and almost glamorize them with how or evil let them tell are, it from their point of view right that too it's it's more than just you know a infomercial right you're starting to possibly persuade someone to think that what they did was okay because there are people out here that will watch a murder documentary and when they discuss the thoughts and ideas that that murderer had there's gonna be someone out there who's like 
wow, I feel the same way about yeah. like someone else or they're going to identify. And that's the danger is that, you know, granted, you know, this is the same thing as saying, oh, video games could make people violent. You know, shows could make people violent. But the thing is, is when you're giving someone's story out there in the news, someone out there is going to yeah. relate. And the danger of it is that person that they're relating to obviously did something and that's why they're being talked about the person that is relating to it probably hasn't done anything but now they can be like oh maybe if i do something similar like i'll be in the news i'll be famous or you know maybe i'll be justified yeah. you know it's it's weird to think that way but we're in this day and age now where people clout chase and even if it's for the wrong things people will still do yeah. something yeah it's it's bad it's bad Gosh. all right so i think it's time for one of the heavy hitters to kind of cap this episode and see where it goes yeah so I'm getting stuck with the gruesome side of this story. And for anybody listening, if you get a little like nauseous or you hear anything that, you know, you anything that's kind of gruesome, if you don't like it, you know, I'll just say it right now. Some of the stuff like it will be gruesome. I won't go into too much detail, but I'll definitely say what happened and like what was going on. But um, so we're going to do war crimes. Uh, and testing during the war. So I feel like I don't really need to experiment, uh, explain the Nazi experiments too much because they're pretty much the most well-known. Um, the worst, the thing that really stood out of theirs, and I know this was the whole twin experiment where they would infect one twin and then watch the other one and see how much one would react to whatever they infected them with. Or transplant or, limbs. God yeah. forbid anything else. Yeah, you know, but there were some other countries that were doing some pretty messed up stuff, you know, and I mean, we could do a whole episode just on every country and their messed up experiments. But the one that really stood out to me and actually kind of somewhat inspired this episode, I guess, um, a long time ago, I watched a movie and it's a it's a nonfiction movie, but it depicts uh, like footage of stuff that you would find in this laboratory, right? The movie was called Men Under the Sun. And if you look this name up, you'll probably find it on multiple lists as the most disturbing films of all time. Like it's usually always in the top 10. So that kind of gives you a warning where I'm going with this. It follows a medical institute in japan uh during the war i think this was yeah world war ii uh it was headed by the japanese imperial army and it was called unit 731 it was biological and chemical warfare research unit and the project name was maruta which used humans as subjects these humans were not just prisoners and mentally disabled uh people it was also children, men, women, the elderly, and pregnant women. And it's just, it's all bad. There, nothing, in my opinion, came out of this. Uh, well, maybe something, but it, it's going to be a little different. And honestly, I feel like it's almost the 
least gruesome out of everything. But then I'll go into that one first. Uh, plague bombs. Mm-hmm. They kind of created a way to create bombs that they can drop in countries or spread in countries that would just spread a plague. And they kind of did it, actually. Uh, they dropped a bomb in China and it was able to infect all their food. And I think it actually killed, like, I want to say it was 30,000 people. Like, it was a lot. And then basically what they did is these bombs would contain anthrax and fleas that carried the plague. So when this would drop, you know, that plague would just swarm everywhere. I wonder if that's where America got the idea for the mosquito bombs that they dropped in Georgia. Did you hear about that? I kind of did, but I kind of figured that was just like a tinfoil hat. I didn't really think too much of it. Yeah, apparently they actually did that. They were testing out the idea of dropping in mosquitoes infected with like malaria or various different things. Yeah. Like a West Nile virus and stuff. For some reason, they decided to drop it in Georgia. (laughs) Like, and so they just Hmm. dropped a shit ton of mosquitoes in Georgia. So I wonder if that's where they got the idea from. Or, Or if if Japan Possibly. got the idea from us or we got the idea from them to test it out first. Uh, something I did find interesting is that once they kind of perfected this, right, they were thinking during World War II of actually dropping a bunch of these bombs in San Diego. Oh, wow. That was like their first city uh, in the United States that they were willing to drop these in. But of course, nothing happened. Um. This this whole experiment is very quiet and hush-hush um, compared to, you know, the Nazi testing. Because, I mean, obviously the Nazi testing was inhumane. And it was brought to light because, you know, they were an enemy of the United States. And, I mean, Japan was too at the time. But there was another issue with it. Basically, the only proof people had of this unit existing was word of mouth. All people that work there were either told they couldn't talk about it, they were exiled, they were killed. No one would say anything. No one could testify, mm. right? Like, And because everything was burned and kind of gone, there was really no evidence, really. I mean, there's evidence there, but there's not enough evidence to you know, convict people or get the full detail of what fully happened. There were just some who spoke out anonymously about you know what happened there so it was never treated on the same level as like the nazi experiments but in my opinion it's i think it's almost worse in some regards because it was more of an individual thing that they did to these people um and to kind of get into some of the things they did they did frostbite testing which basically meant that they would freeze people's limbs uh, and see if blood would warm it back up after a prolonged period of time. Uh, they would freeze people and stick them outside so they would completely freeze and see how long they would live. Um, uh, another big thing they did was, I don't know if I'm going to say this right, but vivisections. Vivisections. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that was a big thing in this unit. And a lot of times they did it with pregnant women. Now, 
these women didn't come into this pregnant. Uh, like what I was talking about before, syphilis comes back. They were testing the syphilis on people. And basically, they would give it to the men. And the men would, because they felt that injecting syphilis into people was not effective or it didn't it didn't produce the same thing as if it was out in the real world they basically had these patients or guards rape the women to give them syphilis because they wanted to see if the child would have it so a lot of times they would commit surgeries on getting the baby out to see if they had it and then they would experiment on the child eventually to see if any organs were infected by it, as well as other things. Basically, their big thing was cutting people open without anesthesia and seeing what their different plagues and diseases would do on organs in the body. Um, and, I mean, there's a lot more to this, too. Um, they had this thing... I trying to think of the name and i can't think of it because i did not write this down but it's one of those things that spins people uh oh a centrifuge they placed people in the centrifuges and were basically spun until they died or a limb would fall off because they'd be spun what? so fast um other things they did is they would take puffer fish poison and inject people they uh, horse blood uh, they would make people drink seawater until they basically died to see how long someone could drink that water. Like, if there was a horrible thing you could do to somebody, they basically did it here. They hung people to see how long they would last. Like, this stuff was so gruesome, you know? Like, it. And who were these people? <laughs> like, it was it just everyday citizens that they were just taking for this, or was it. So it was people from rural towns in the area. It was enemies of the state. Um, so it was mostly, you know, I think half of it were like prisoners and then the other half were just people from rural towns mm -hmm. in the area that they captured. Because I think when it came out, there were 3,000 people in this facility. I couldn't find an exact number because obviously, you know, that kind of information yeah. didn't really exist too much, but, um, there was something around that. There was 300 researchers and yeah, about apparently 3000 people there. Um, and this was mostly a lot of this testing was, uh, they were testing on China. And later on, once the war ended and the U.S. kind of found out about this, obviously a lot of this got shut down. And when they destroyed their plague bombs because they didn't want people to know, they actually apparently released a bunch of plague-ridden rats in China and actually killed a lot of people that oh way as gosh. well. As like one final like send-off. Um, it... I mean, there's there's so much to this. And it's like, I could go on and on. about. Like, this is almost a whole episode in itself with some of the other um, stuff. Like, there, there's a story of someone's escape. Um, and basically, 
you know, this person, they were trying to escape, so, but they were blocked off, right? They were in a wall. So they basically had these like rabid, like rats basically eat this person Jesus. to death. Yeah, like, I mean, I don't, there's more to this. And if it gets more gruesome, so if anyone out there is interested in hearing like how deprived people can be, I mean, there's a lot of information on this out there because people are interested in these kind of war crimes, you know? And I think it's very interesting to look back and be like, hey, like, this is how evil people can really be, you know? Like, we're so easy to think about the certain go-tos when it comes to the evils of humanity, but we forget there's people out there that are always going to one-up the other. And when I heard about this years ago, like I knew it was bad, but when I was looking stuff up for this episode, I'm like, dude, it gets a lot deeper than what I ever thought. And it's, it's scary. I mean, to think that they were basically testing the bubonic plague and bringing it back for warfare. I mean, that's scary enough, but like the needless experiments they did on these people, like why? And because it was shut down and basically it's treated as like it never happened. There's no research data about anything mm -hmm. really. Yeah. I mean like what can you even gain? From you know, that? the United States didn't even list it as like a, a crime against humanity. Really? They were just like, well, there was experiments, you know, there was a lot of destruction of evidence and, um, they were granted immunity from Americans for the most part, which is it's crazy. Wild. All in the name of science, right? That's that's what all this boils back down to. That whole idea of yep. oh, it's for knowledge, it's for science, it's for betterment of the human race. So we're allowed to do whatever the hell we want. Just it's disgusting. But that's I mean, that's yeah. Anyway, yeah. I, I think that's gonna do it for us this week. And yeah, we I know that last one's really hard to listen to and it's that's only the tip of the iceberg, really, with that whole practice and what they did there. And just, uh, but it's it's crazy to think about what we can do as humans, like what, what horrible things we can do to each other. And if we feel like we have a, a positive goal at the end, right? The light at the end of the tunnel, the like betterment of all humanity and all that bullshit, like then everything gets justified brush under the rug and it's all okay again i guess it's okay to freeze people it's okay to inject people with cancer cells it's okay to just watch people with a horrible disease just die slowly right? but yeah so that's gonna do it for us this week thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you guys next week bye for now bye